1: morning. We indeed have come together to worship this morning. I'm Phil Jackson, one of the elders here at Preston Crest, and welcome to our time of worship to our Lord. And it's good to see you, especially our visitors. Uh, Hopefully our visitors will stick around. Let us welcome you. And I ask everyone, please check in, uh, as always, by typing check in to 469-476-5331. Be sure to check your bulletin. You'll get that when you check in uh, digitally or the physical bulletins are out there. And p- Please be sure to check those for news, information, coming events. Preston Crest is a congregation, as we have written out in our foyer, to passion for God and compassion for people. So let's enter into our worship with that in mind. Hear the word of the Lord from Luke 2.14. Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we find ourselves in this time between a national celebration of Thanksgiving and the celebration of the birth of your son of, Je- of Jesus. While this is often a hectic stressful time as all the plans are being made and gifts are bought and wrapped and lots of activities to attend. We take this time to pause and reflect to give you praise. We thank you as we count our blessings. We praise you for the way that you work in our lives. We worship you in the love that you have shown us and we ask for your peace in the whirlwind of the holidays. Give us the peace of your presence so as we worship you in song we are comforted not only by the words we sing but by the melody and harmony of the fellowship of believers on whom your favor rests. Help us this morning to demonstrate our passion for you and our compassion for others as we lift your name. In the name of your son and our savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's uh, let's join our
0: voices this morning, singing these wonderful carols of worship. Oh, come, We're going to sing one more song as we enter into our time of communion. And then Monty Masters will come and lead us this morning around the bread and around the cup. Let's sing together.
2: We all died.
3: Everybody looks so nice today. I mean, you always look nice, but it seems like the cold weather maybe put us a couple of layers extra on and everybody looks particularly sharp this morning. Um, Most of you who know me know that I have a passion for baseball. There's a great baseball movie called The Natural. And in The Natural, the main character played by Robert Redford is named Roy Hobbs. And at the end of the movie, Roy, this great baseball player, hits a home run. Well, in the book version, Roy does not hit a home run. Roy strikes out. So I guess the movie makers thought we couldn't handle it. Got to have a happy ending, right? So like a lot of movies, yeah, that's kind of why we go to the movies, to escape. Maybe some of our skeptical friends may think Christianity is a little bit like that. Maybe they think we believe in fairy tales. Maybe they believe we believe in happy endings. They may think things like uh, going to the movies uh, is like going to church. It's a form of maybe Christian escapism. Um, They may think to themselves, why would any adult choose to believe in a happy ending when tragedy is all around us? After all, happy endings, those are for movies. Those are fairy tales, they're for children. True, our lives, the lives we are leading, they are not movies. And we are truly different than movie characters like Roy Hobbs. Why is it different? Because the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is what changed our story forever. He said at the cross, it is finished. He ended it and now Jesus continuously finishes us. He is at work in you and me right now and forever. So that's the good news. We are being renewed in him and our story started over. When we accepted Jesus, he took the power over uh, how it would end. He ushered in a complete defeat of the worst ending ever, death. And now he continuously leads us and he renews us. 1 Corinthians 15:22 says, Just as everyone dies because we are all belonging to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given a new life. So we've already won. The conflict is resolved. We know the ending. And I, for one, believe in happy endings. If you're not a Christian and you're here today, we're about to partake in what's called the Lord's Supper. We believe that Jesus Christ came to earth over 2,000 years ago. We believe He is the Son of God, and we believe that His death, burial, and resurrection help us know what our ending is going to be. So at this time, we're going to take some bread in the form of a cracker. That represents the sacrifice of His body on a cross and a very cruel and violent death. And then we'll take some grape juice that will help us remember the blood that He shed on that cross. We believe that he was buried in a tomb. He was there three days. He rose after three days and for 40 days he taught his disciples so that they could teach us and in turn carry on the good work while we're here on earth. So if you don't mind, let's pray for this bread. God and Father in heaven, we are grateful for your son and the death, burial, and resurrection. For the life he lived while he was here on earth, we're so grateful for the example that he provided us. Help us not to forget that sacrifice, but instead remember it and, and be grateful for the renewal that comes through that death, burial, and resurrection at this time. It's your name we pray. Amen. God and Father in heaven, we are so grateful that you sent Jesus. The sacrifice and the blood that he shed, um, a sacrifice that we could not make. Um, we're thankful for the hope that that gives us on a daily basis, um, the strength and courage that that gives us to go about our day, our week, our month, or our year, even in the face of tremendous trials that we may have, and we certainly will have those. We are grateful for showing us the ending, God, and for revealing to us your plan. We're forever grateful, and uh, I pray that all of us remember this throughout the week. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.
0: Well, if you're in this audience this morning and came prepared to give an offering, you can drop that in the foyer, in the box, right in the middle of the foyer. And uh, if you're giving online, as so many of us are, please continue to do that. And if you're joining with us as we sprint to the finish uh, with our giving, if if we missed a Sunday or we're out of town for some reason, or if the Lord has just blessed you in such a way that you you feel... Uh, led to give a little bit more at the end of the year. Please, uh, please see instructions in our bulletin about how to do go about doing that. However, you choose to partner with us to continue the uh, the kingdom business in this place. Thank you. We're thankful for how God brings opportunities for to us, and how we continually, church, we continually walk into those, step into those opportunities. And, uh, and people are being led to Jesus because of that. So praise God. Thankful for all the good works of this church, but especially the youth group work and specifically uh, the small groups. You're, in just a moment, you're going to see uh, a video that uh, Aaron Fari, uh, one of our youth ministers, has, has produced or, or has made. And uh, it'll share a little bit more about the, uh, the good work of our small groups in the youth group, and what a great team we have of youth ministry here at Preston Crest. Let's pray. Father, thank you for blessing us, especially because we don't deserve it. You bless us even so. Father, I pray that what is given today will further your kingdom In this place, that we would be your ambassadors, that we would be Jesus to our neighbors, to those around us. I pray that we would boldly share our faith. Father, I pray that you would grow your kingdom here and use us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's watch a little bit more about youth group small groups.
4: I'm Erin Fari and I'm the Associate Youth Minister. First, I want to thank you for your generosity, prayers, and support for PCYG. Because of the way you support us, many students are able to reach in, grow in their faith, and begin making their walk with Christ a personal relationship. One of the foundational ministries in PCYG is our small groups ministry. These are done in homes hosted by parents or leaders of students in our youth group. We have a number of young singles, young marrieds, and young families that lead our weekly Bible discussions. But this mentoring goes beyond the walls of the homes to checking in on students throughout the week and watching them in their extracurricular activities. If you're a student and not plugged in, we want to encourage you to be involved. You don't have to start from the beginning, and we just want you to come as much as you can. If you're a young adult and are interested in working with our teens, getting involved with our small group ministry may be the right fit for you. We would love for you to contact either Brian Borden or myself. Thank you once again for your continued support and prayers over our teams.
0: Well, Aaron joined our team in August, and if you haven't met Aaron Fowery, you're missing out, folks. She is lovely. She is a, a treasure for this church and so glad that we have her. She is a great addition to our youth ministry team. Bordeaux and, and Aaron and Kelly Wilkinson do such a fantastic job. Okay, yeah. Okay, so bags are due back today. You see that? We're, we're depositing all the, the toy bags and clothing bags and all that stuff, all of your family bags that you've brought. Bring those to the fellowship hall, and then I will get you connected with Serving and delivering about half of those on Thursday morning. If you're interested in doing that, there's ways to uh, just get connected through the website. Join me. I need about four or five pickup trucks, Suburban, something like that. And then another four or five people to help me get these bags over to these refugee families over at Wallace Elementary School. All right, let's stand church. We're going to send kids on up to Children's Church. We'll sing one more chorus, and then Brian Borden's going to be uh, bringing the word to us this morning. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God,
2: oh, praise.
5: Good morning Preston Crest. How's everybody this morning? So we'll start this morning out with a question for you. Who loves to wait? You know when I was younger, I was told don't ever pray for patience because there's only one way to get it. To be put in situations where you have to wait. And so I thought, well, not praying for that because patience is a virtue and not one that I have mastered yet sitting in Dallas traffic or when I was younger and couldn't wait for Christmas to come, ready for those presents to open those up. In fact, one Christmas I remember, I needed a G.I. Joe train set. You know I'm talking about? The G.I. Joe train set. I thought, oh, and my parents are going to get it for me. I just know it. So I did what I did every Christmas was I waited, except for waiting for me was going around the house, looking everywhere, trying to find all my mom and dad's secret hiding spots so that I could see what presents am I getting this year before Christmas would come. And my mom would always warn me. She said, look, if you find them, you don't get them for Christmas. (laughs) And I thought, yeah. So I'm going and I'm searching. I'm like, got to find this train set. And there it is. With the light shining down from heaven in our back storage room, wrapped in a black trash bag, it's there. I know it. So I creep up because just like any good kid, you want to make sure that your gift doesn't suffocate. So it needed air, and I needed to look in, to make sure it was okay. So I opened that present up a little bit up. Trash bag. Yeah. There it is, the GI Joe train set. I was so excited, but you know, every day I just felt bad that it was lonely and I needed to go visit it every day. So every day I would go and just make sure it wasn't claustrophobic. I would open that hole just a little wider so I could see it just a little more. Yeah, oh yeah, it's going to be so much fun. So Christmas came and I started opening my presents and there was no G.I. Joe train set. And my mom said, I know you found it and I know you broke into the, the, ra- into the garbage bag early. She said, maybe you'll get it next year. So I had to wait another year to get my train set. I did get it, it was a year later, but you talk about working on a kid's patience, yikes. (laughs) But each year, children just love, they can't wait for Christmas to come, and today we're going to talk about a man named Simeon. He was the same way, he just couldn't wait for Christmas to come. It was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit uh, that he wouldn't die until he saw the Messiah. Now, we don't know how long Simeon had to wait, but we know he was an old man when he saw baby Jesus in the temple in Luke chapter 2 because his statement was, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation which you have prepared for all people. Now, I don't know about you, but I have met a few famous people, a few celebrities. Think for yourself have you ever met a famous person, a celebrity, a star? I remember sitting in a restaurant with the Sports Illustrated in my hand, and I'm listening. As, as this bigger-than-life personality is answering every question. And I'm just all in. I'm so engaged, and I can't wait because I know afterwards I'm going to get to go meet him. And I'm sitting there, and I'm listening. And finally, what appeared to be days, but probably was just about 30 minutes, I finally get to go meet this star. So I walk up with a bunch of you know other fans, 100 fans or so that were there, We walk up. I I make my way to the front. I hand him the Sports Illustrated and the Sharpie to those hands that are bigger than your face. No wonder he caught every touchdown. And I said, "Mr. Irvin, you are great. Thank you." That's right, the playmaker himself, Michael Irvin. So excited. Um, I've waited for Black Friday sales, right? Waited in line outside. I've waited for concert tickets. Lots of things that we wait for. But of all the famous people in the world, the best sales or the most expensive things you could imagine, the best gifts you've ever gotten would fail in comparison to meeting and holding in your hands the salvation of the world, Can you imagine? You didn't just meet the Savior. You held the Savior in the arms. And that's what Luke 2.28 says. Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms. Think for just a moment. Maybe you have met some really important people. Maybe you've held or owned some really valuable things. But Simeon is holding the Savior of the world. In his hands. He's holding salvation. Have you ever stopped to just think about the gospel? Think about the fact that God came down to earth. He sent his one and only son down to earth as a helpless baby. God is trusting imperfect people to care for perfection. And Simeon is part of this story. I can't imagine holding the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the Savior himself, If you know me, you know that usually when people walk in with a baby, I look and I go, oh, they're so cute. I don't hold babies because I have what they call lineman hands. I don't have playmaker hands. I have lineman hands. And I'm always nervous. I'm going to drop that baby. So I can't imagine. But here Simeon is holding baby Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Man, can we just say God is an incredible God? We're going to be talking about Simeon today in Luke chapter 2. And, you know, Luke is such an artist when he comes to writing. He paints these pictures. In each detail, he writes about the works of God. These beautiful songs that he captured in his gospel just tell the, the, the story of Jesus so well. The one we'll talk about today is called Nunc Dementis, and it's Simeon's prayer of dedication when they come to the temple over infant Jesus. Uh, but he shows that nothing Luke shows that nothing is impossible with our God and that there is a hero at work and it is the Spirit of God that is a theme throughout the Gospel of Luke and when you get to his next book of, of Acts. The Holy Spirit is at work. It plays an essential role for us living out a life for God. In the Gospel of Luke, we see the birth story alone show the the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, you can remember uh, maybe if you've heard the the birth narrative when when Elizabeth goes and visits with Mary, or Mary goes to see Elizabeth, and and John is in the womb. The John the Baptist hasn't been born yet; he's in the womb, and he leaps with excitement because the Messiah is coming. And all of a sudden. The Holy Spirit fills Elizabeth, and she prophesies about Mary being the mother of the Lord and, and Savior. And Mary then turns around and, and does one of the famous, uh, the, the Magnificat. Um, and then you can hear Zechariah's song of praise about what John will be coming and prophesying about, the coming of the king, making this, the path straight in the Benedictus. And then, of course, like we talked about, today we're going to talk about the Dimittis. You know, Jesus himself was powered by the Holy Spirit. At his baptism, the Spirit came down and descended on him like a dove. And he was led by the Spirit out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And then all along Jesus' ministry, he is powered by the Holy Spirit. And then in the book of Acts, we see at Pentecost, the Spirit come upon the disciples. And then all through, you can look at the the great things that were done by the disciples of Jesus in the book of Acts, and the Holy Spirit is right there empowering people, the hero of the story, pointing to God as God. So why is this important? Because God gets the glory. The Father, the Son, the Spirit, three are one God. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are promised the gift of Holy Spirit when we proclaim that Jesus is Lord, when we submit our lives to his Lordship and put him on in baptism. God himself lives in us. And as I look out in the crowd and I say that, you kind of do what I think we all do. Yeah, Holy Spirit lives in me. But can you imagine? God lives in us. It's incredible. It's incredible. The Holy Spirit separates us from the rest of the world. It is the seal, the promise of God's salvation living in us, empowering us. We don't walk alone. We have the Lord living in us. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 1, 21 through 22. It is God who enables us along with you to stand firm for Christ. He has commissioned us and he has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised. And then when you go to the church in Ephesus, Paul says this in Ephesians 1. 13 through 14 and now you gentiles have also heard the truth the good news that God saves you and when you believed in Christ he identified you as his own by giving you the holy spirit whom he promised long ago the spirit is god's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people he did so that we would praise and glorify him so our life is a praise and glory to the Lord. The Bible shows us over and over again what the Holy Spirit can do in us, that we are empowered to do great things for what? To do great things for the Lord, but to bring God the glory because he deserves all the praise. Everything about our life should be about Him. Everything we are, everything we do should just point straight to God, and the Holy Spirit is the one empowering us to do so. We're going to start in Luke chapter 2, verses 21 today to see how we get there. How did we get um, to walk with the Spirit? How did Simeon get the Spirit upon him? And then my prayer for us as we walk through this uh, lesson today, that we will be more in step with the Spirit, more in tune with what God is calling us to do each day. So let's pick up in, in Luke chapter 2, verses 21. It says, "'Eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel even before he was conceived.' Then it was a time for purification offering, as required by the law of Moses, after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And this is so important because Jesus himself says he didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. So this fulfillment of the law started at the birth of Jesus. Jesus was circumcised, which all Jewish boys were commanded to do so on the eighth day. And then 31 to 33 days later, he would go and be presented at the temple, as it says in Leviticus 12, that an offering must be made, a purification process to make atonement. And why is this a significant part of the story of Jesus? Paul tells us this in Galatians 4, verses 4 through 5, he says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son— born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons and daughters. You see, Jesus came to the earth to being born and submitting himself to the law, even though he was perfect, so that he could become a perfect sacrifice to set us free from the law, free from sin and free from death. He was God He could have come in any way he wanted, any form he wanted. But he chose to come as creation and even submitted himself to the limitations that his creation had at the time, which was living under the law. So we see why Mary and Joseph came to the temple. But what brought Simeon to the temple? Let's keep reading on. We're going to pick up in verse 25 here. It says, at that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby, Jesus to the Lord, as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation which you have prepared for all peoples. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people of Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed, and said, at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul, which talks about the death he will live, he will live out. Simeon was there because he was led by the Holy Spirit. It first says that Simeon was righteous and devout man, waiting, eagerly waiting for the Messiah. It's waiting for Christmas, right? If we just read that scripture, we would think this story was about Simeon. But just like every story in the Bible, this story is about our great God. Simeon is called righteous, which in this context means he was justified before God. It's important here to, to remember that he was not righteous, just like us. We are not righteous on our own account. Simeon was not righteous because he was a good guy. He was righteous because of what God was going to do for him and for us, for what God has done for us. For Paul says in Romans 3.10, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. And then he told the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Then I love this quote here from John MacArthur when he talks about this exact uh, situation here with Simeon and why Simeon was called righteous, he says, Whenever the Bible says somebody is righteous, it means God declared them righteous. And God only declares sinners righteous when they trust in God for their forgiveness, not in their own works. And God applied the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which hadn't even happened to Simeon, because Simeon knew his sinfulness. And he knew he couldn't earn his salvation. He cast himself on the mercy of God. Love that. God declared him righteous on the basis of what Christ would do in bearing his sins in the future. He was a righteous man. Whenever the Bible says a man or woman is righteous, it means before God they are considered just because their sins have been paid for and they have been forgiven. And. Simeon is righteous, and he's devout because of God, because of the work of the Holy Spirit in his life, because of the knowledge from the Spirit that the Savior was going to come before he died. He would get to see the Messiah, that God was going to hold his his promise. He was going to fulfill that promise, that he was being made right with God. He lived out a life that was considered devout. You see, Simeon lived out his salvation He wasn't trying to earn his salvation. You know the difference you ever been there? He wasn't trying to earn his salvation. He was living in such a way, hoping to be, he wasn't living in such a way, hoping to be saved. Or if I do enough, or if I'm good enough, then maybe God will will let me get in. No, he was living out what was already promised. That salvation that was coming through the coming king, Jesus, which he was about to go meet at the temple. So, Simeon, what we're learning, was a spirit led man. In verse 25, it says, The Holy Spirit was upon him. According to scripture, the Spirit did not dwell on everyone, but only on those that God had something to say or something important to do, and the Spirit would come down and empower them. Uh, But what we know is when Jesus conquered death and he conquered sin and was taken up, We became the righteousness, which means God could commune with us and could live in us, right? So Jesus tells his disciples, because they're all like, don't go, don't go. And Jesus tells them this in John 16, 7 through 15. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Considering judgment, because the ruler of the world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but cannot bear them now. So that authority is in you. When Jesus ascended into heaven, the Spirit came down and we saw this. We saw this power at Pentecost when the disciples had the Holy Spirit come upon them like tongues of fire. And they go and they speak the gospel message to everybody in all their native tongues. All these different people that spoke different languages heard the gospel in their own language. And we know that that same promise is true for those that would come after them, including us, for those that say yes to Jesus, Lord, and put him on in baptism. That same promise is for us. Jesus says this in in that verse, and I think this is where Simeon was too, is that the Holy Spirit guides us. We're not told how exactly the Spirit guided him, but in Luke 2, 25 through 26, it says the Holy Spirit was upon him. That it revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And then when you go to verse 27, it says, That day the Spirit led him to the temple. So if you ever had a feeling or some kind of leaning to go and do something or to go speak to someone, maybe you didn't understand why. But some people I've talked to actually hear an audible, have actually heard an audible voice from the Lord telling them to go and to do um, I have not, but I know that the Holy Spirit is in me, and I know that the Holy Spirit works through us, and we get these nudgings, and we get these feelings. We're drawn to either pray for someone or to go reach out to someone or to do something that God is calling us to do. I remember many times uh, of this happening. One in particular was when Alexandra had just left and started working at the hills, and she was just on my heart all day. And I just remember thinking, man, I, I just had this prayer that kept coming over me, that I was praying over her, and, I, and, and then I just felt led by the Spirit to say, you know what? It's not enough for me just to think it. I need to send this to her, and so I sent her this text of encouragement that I had been just thinking about, just like her strengths and her gifts and how God was had used her and will use her, and then this prayer that God just had put on my heart, and I typed all this out, and I sent it to her. And she wrote back and she said, this changed my day. And we have that power to do this. Maybe you've had someone come into your mind. Or, or maybe you, you get home and you see your neighbor and you kind of feel like, oh, I need to go talk to them. But maybe you just kind of shake it off thinking, well, it's, just, it's kind of a weird thought. I haven't thought of that person in a long time. Or I just don't have time to go talk to my neighbor. You see... Are we being obedient to the Spirit's leading, or do we just shake it off? I've done that before too, and I wonder, when we shake it off, are we missing opportunities to be used to bring glory to the name of our God? Simeon was so in step with the Spirit, and he walked with the Lord that he felt he was supposed to go to the temple, and he went. Reminds me of a story of an older gentleman uh, back in the 1800s. And um, he went to church on a regular basis. He, he got up, went, got in his horse buggy, went to church one Sunday night. Preacher was talking about uh, Samuel and how God had spoke to him. It just gave him a lot to think about. And so when he gets back after church is over, he gets back in his horse buggy, and he starts heading home, and he's thinking, God do you still speak to people today? And he started praying and he said, God, you know what? If you speak to me, I'm going to do my best to listen and obey. Or as he's heading home and he's, he's, you know, getting home and he sees some of his his neighbors' houses coming up and he sees one in particular and he just feels the Holy Spirit just saying, he just has this leaning, this voice that kind of says, stop at this house and ask for a gallon of milk. And he thought, I have milk at home. I don't need milk. Why would I? And he just says, God, is this you? Are you telling me to stop and ask for milk? And he thought, okay, but it, it wouldn't go away. This thought just wouldn't go away. So he decided, okay, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to obey. So he stops, and he walks up to the house and he's thinking, well, worst case, I'll have an extra gallon of milk at home. And he knocks on the door. The man in the house answers, and they start talking. And finally, gets up the courage and says, "Can I borrow a gallon of milk?" And the gentleman says, "Absolutely." So he goes and gets the milk. He says, "Thank you," and he gets back in his horse-drawn buggy and puts the milk down and starts off back to home. And he's thinking, "This is that was just weird." And so he's riding along, and he gets to the fork in the road where he's supposed to go left to go home, but he feels that he's supposed to go right. He has this feeling that just you need to go right. And he's like, there is nothing down that path but an old abandoned house. No one lives there. Why would I go to the right? It's kind of spooky, anyways. It's starting to snow, it's dark. And so he stops the horse. And he's wrestling. He's just contemplating. Finally says, Okay, God, I will. And he goes off to the right. As he's going down this road, he gets to the old abandoned house. Still looks abandoned. He stops and he feels the spirit just leading him. Go knock on the door. He's like, this is crazy. He's nervous. He's anxious at this point going, I don't know why I'm here. I'm nervous. Doesn't look like anybody's there, but he, okay, I'm going to do it. So he gets out. He goes to the house. He knocks on the door. And he hears, who is that? What do you want? Well, he starts getting scary, so he starts to back away, and the door opens up at that time. And it's this young man. And the older gentleman looks at him, and he can see just beyond in the distance his wife, his young wife holding their little child that must have been one, maybe two years old. He starts talking to the the young man, and they had this conversation. He finds out that this young couple had just saved up enough money to buy this house. But that they had spent everything they owned. It took everything to buy this house. And he said, you know, we just don't have milk for our child. We weren't able to buy a cow. So the older gentleman shook his head, went and got the milk, and was reminded, God still uses obedient people today. Imagine, imagine if Simeon did not follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit. He would have missed out on holding in his arms the Savior of the world. Do you believe that God still speaks to us today? Do you believe that the Holy Spirit has you on mission every day? I believe that the Holy Spirit speaks through us today as well. He spoke through Simeon in Luke two twenty eight through 32. He said, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms, praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people, a light to reveal God to the nations. He is the glory of the people of Israel. Jesus is... Revealed here by the Holy Spirit as grace to the Gentiles and glory for Israel. This wasn't just spoken because Simeon was this righteous man. He was spoken because the Holy Spirit spoke through him. And Simeon was obedient to listen to the Spirit. This baby will be the salvation of many. And Mary and Joseph in verse 33 just, it says, they were amazed. I believe that the Holy Spirit still speaks through us today through Scripture as well. So the question is, are we in our word? Are we in the Bible each day? Are we seeking God's promises for us that were written to us? Written for all Christians, for all ages. Are we hearing his voice? Simeon knew the scriptures about the Messiah. And unlike many of the teachers of the law, and the Jewish people that felt like this Messiah was going to bring an earthly kingdom. Simeon knew beyond that because of what the Spirit was doing in his life and how he had read Scripture and Scripture had been revealed through the Spirit. And so Simeon knew he spoke more of an eternal salvation for the Jews and Gentiles when he spoke his uh, prophecy over baby Jesus because he said it would cause many to fall and joy for others. An example of a passage, I've got two examples of passages in Isaiah 1 and 8, 14 through 15. It says, He will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both house of Israel and a trap of a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. And then Isaiah 49, 6 says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob, to bring back the preserve of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Simeon was a righteous and devout, spirit-filled man that declared God's salvation through Jesus. So what about us, Preston Crest? Wouldn't it be great if people outside our church talked about the people of God here at Preston Crest and our reputation was one of righteousness, devotion, and declaring God's salvation? You see, we are promised the gift of the Holy Spirit when Jesus becomes Lord of our lives and we put him on in baptism. And just like Simeon, we must humble ourselves to the lordship and the leading of God in our lives. God is less interested in you getting everything right and more interested in your hearts being in step and aligned with the Holy Spirit? Are we living in such a way where people see God's salvation? Do we have conversations with others about where our hope is? Jesus is a light for all nations. God is calling you to be a light for your friends, your family, your neighbors, those, anyone you come in contact with, even the people on the road in Dallas in traffic. That's for me. Sorry. Just as he chose these people in the Bible to care and prophesy about this baby who would be the savior of the world, he wants us to continue to share this message of hope. Be led by the Spirit this week so that you can shine his light and God will get the glory for your life. If you've not said yes to Jesus as Lord, it's time. This morning you can come and say, yes, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. I want to receive the Holy Spirit. I want to walk in newness. But be filled with the Spirit. However you need to respond this morning, let's respond as we stand and sing. Salvation
2: belongs to our God who sins.
1: in Christ, we are truly blessed. What a wonderful morning of worship. Thank you, Brian. Uh, we, we're blessed because we have such great ministers that can provide messages to us. So thank you, Brian, for that message. Thank you, John Scott, for the, for the uh, song leading. Thank you, Monty, for the uh, communion talk. And then tonight, we'd like to see you back, hope to see you here at 6. Jacob Hawk will continue with the excellent series on Encounters with Jesus as he brings us a story from John chapter 8, where we'll learn along with the sinful woman about salvation and how to truly live. Join with me as we, uh, as we read our take-home voice. We'll join with Simeon here from Luke two thirty thirty-two. 32 for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all nations a light for revelation to the gentiles and the glory of your people israel and God's people said amen. Amen.